Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, once again, this is Michael Adams, nothing but the truth, one man's journey to find it. It is August 31st, 2015. It's 2.11 in the morning, and I cannot sleep. Do you ever one of those nights where you just, the head is racing, and you just can't sleep? And you're thinking about things... And you're thinking about what's going on in the world. In particular, I'm thinking about the latest and greatest, I guess, shooting hoax, if you will. Okay, big voice running out. There's a lot of stuff on right now about this Virginia shooting hoax. And uh, there's a goth, uh, Keith Hansen, you know, we've exchanged some emails about it. I'm not going to go into detail or even read his emails. I'll probably hopefully we'll deal with it a bit tomorrow. Question, why are they doing what they're doing? How do we know if it's a hoax or not? How do we know that these people didn't die? What happened to them? All that kind of stuff. Ask yourself a question in my head and probably should learn to start writing things down. Maybe when I... I got a lot of life changes going on and with this move, uh, maybe that's what I'll start doing. Maybe I'll start doing what the others do and start writing little thoughts and articles, a journal, something like that. I don't know. Anyways. Um, yeah, so this Virginia hoax thing, shooting hoax, active shooter something, I don't know. When I watch the, the, the reels and the footage, it's clear to me that this thing is, it doesn't look real. It looks like actors. I mean, the girl's actor, father, if it's true, looks like it. He's a professional actor. They had a leading role in Les Miserables. She's an actor. Her boyfriend is awfully effeminate and seems like an actor. Why would a pretty blonde want to be with that guy? They have a lot of pictures, though. Supposedly of each other. Regardless if this is true or not, what's the motive? And the word that comes to mind for me is Chaos. And what a brilliant strategy. Now, is this uh, a strategy of tension? Or, um, I don't know. As I, I shared with Visigoth, um, you know, I, I, one of my instinctive thoughts is that it is a uh, uh, the old classic um, circus and bread type of thing. 
grand distraction. But if we look at things a little bit more further and deeper, I'm trying to, at least I'm trying to, um, let's look at the Pope, the biblical historical Antichrist, servant of Satan himself, <clears throat> coming to the shores in America in, what, uh, 22 days. No, excuse me, 24 days, is that what it is? 24 days. We look at this whole New World Order thing, and basically it's a Jesuit. It's an old world order where uh, um, basically bringing us back into a feudal uh, kind of uh, totalitarian state. Um, they look at these 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 uh these uh, how these uh quote unquote staged events seem to be increasing. We'll think about Eric Holder and his infamous quote and being on uh, and they can find it on the internet everywhere if you want of the fact that uh, you know we need to brainwash the populace. We need to get rid of the guns. I don't know if it's really about getting rid of the guns. At least not yet. I don't know. Regulating the guns. Blaming people with mental illness. Have you ever thought about that seriously? Have you ever asked yourself who doesn't have mental illness? Or physical illness? Spiritual illness. Isn't that part of the state of the fallen man? Isn't it part of our imperfections? Isn't it a great way to demonize people that you falsely label and say they're this, that, and the other? They got this diagnosis, that diagnosis, something's just flat up made up. What would be the motive? Why would you do this? Why are they doing this? Could it be to cause more chaos, to lose faith in our leaders, in the government? Not many of us don't have it already. I mean, to begin with, I never had it. But there's still a lot of people out there to do. There's still a lot of people out there that uh, believe what's on the television, what's on the Internet. Even I get, can't get myself caught doing it. But we're going to remember this is television. This is a televised event. And, we, of course, we know that television is flat-out mind control. What is the motive? Why are they doing this? The great white pope is coming to rescue us, rescue this world. Oh, our government's so dysfunctional. The political system is dysfunctional. The banking system is dysfunctional. The religious system is dysfunctional. The educational system is dysfunctional. We need a change. A big one. Don't you think? It's kind of brilliant, this strategy they're using. You know, so they got the... um, It's like a capturing... uh, a, A very sneaky trap, if you will. I really think that this one's a trap. 
I got trapped in it. As you're chasing after this uh, distraction, whether you believe in it or you, it's being real or you believe it's a hoax, you're being preoccupied while the serious stuff, the really major stuff, keeps going on. What's going on with Jade Helm? What's going on with the uh, NATO and their Trident 15 drills? What's going on with uh, all the other military operations? What's going on with the financial system for real? What's hap- What's going to happen in the future? Hearing people, even people that don't even pay attention to this stuff, starting to say that in October we're supposed to have a financial crisis. I'm not being a fear monger. Please don't get me wrong. But I know who does like to do that. That's the government. And that is its subordinate organizations, all of these private contractors out there. Now, if you look at this thing that's going on with these false flags and has build up, and it's more people jump on it, how many of those are actually working for the government? Don't know. How many of those are just dumb morons like myself who don't really understand the world and are easily swayed one way or the other? promoting that. Who's paying for these people to do these halfway decent uh, videos? What really did happen to those people? Are they living somewhere in Bahama right now, sipping uh, margaritas and laughing all the way to the bank? Did they take them out somewhere and just get rid of them? I have no idea. We look at uh, the media, television, reporters. You know, my personal experience with reporters is probably the the usual. As a musician, I remember having guys do write-ups on my music and saying stuff that I never said, embellishing it, and it's stretching things beyond probably real. But now artists, people do the same thing. You ever notice artist bios and when they uh, you know, they do a little critique about your art, they usually use a whole bunch of fancy words and say all sorts of things and they really at the end of the day it's just a bunch of BS. Can't really trust anything that comes out of the media. I think we know that by now and if you listen to the Lords of the Press you should have a good idea about that. Distraction. A red herring. A lady in red. A lady in red. Chasing after our loves, our fantasies, our dreams. Isn't it interesting uh, how many people are involved in this thing? I think I got suckered in all this. Honestly. Nothing's ever going to get down about this. But you know what? It's a great way to track people, isn't it? It is called the Internet. Hey, gentlemen, who might ever be listening, might be listening now. 
the World Wide Web. Tracking people and putting them in their in your groups, your categories, who might be a threat and who might be a dissident and all this kind of crap. It's a good way to track people, isn't it? Not only that, then there's a good way to cause chaos, confusion. What's really going on? Better yet, between each other. Whether we're like minds or, you know, the neighbor across the street who thinks it's real. And now thinks you're crazy, and you now you think they're stupid. Isn't it interesting that one of the best ways and the most important ways to divide and conquer is not so much physically, but mentally. I think you think about it, how masterful this whole thing is of causing must be chaos, fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the government, fear of them taking away their guns, fear of them tracking us, fear of uh, what the future may hold. Oh, but we need a savior, don't we? We do, absolutely, but it's not a man. We the man God, the true Jesus Christ, who will come back someday, and but it's not the Pope or politician. Or a pediatrician, or a psychiatrist, or etc. Not even a gun. So, what is it all about, really? I think it's chaos. Order out of chaos. The building up of the tension, causing more chaos and division. I'm wondering where will the answers be? Who offers change? Who is offering change? Oh, that would be the papacy once again, wouldn't it? The Jesuits and their minions. What we need is change. What we need is a new world order. A new world banking system. Uh, A new world uh, uh, judicial system. And of course, it all be in line with canon law, the papacy, and the same old, same old, basically. It's just a reduction of people's opportunities and further enslavement, whether spiritually, mentally, or physically. Why are they doing it? I used to preoccupy us. I think it is to confuse us. I think it's to cause fear. I think it's to destabilize people. If you look at what's going on with the goal that we have here in front of us, is I'm staring at a computer screen instead of actually hanging out with the buds, the boys. They used to be there, but they're no longer there because everyone's staring at a computer screen or a television screen is uh, our new teachers, our new, what is it, Uh, a god. The future will be probably for my son by the time he is somewhere in grade school or at least in junior high, is that every kid will be studying and doing everything on an iPad. 
No need for addiction uh, for uh ain't a dictionary, we'll need that. Just the computer will have it. No need for uh, a library. Uh no need for paper, no need for uh the old skills. It's a great way to start kind of making people a little more illiterate. Uh, and here's another thing, too. If it's on the Internet, if this is, and it's digital, it's, it's much more easier to change things that are written from the past or even the present. And like you speak and all that jazz. Brave New World. I think what it is, it's uh, they're leading up to the preparatory stages of a further advancement of the New World Order. The New World Order has already been around, but it's just now putting it all into place, magnifying its impact on our lives. Yeah, probably guns is a big thing of talking about it. But usually, what the real motives usually are, they don't tell us. Usually, don't even figure the stuff out until decades later. At least years. What's the motives? And then they will know. But one thing that seems pretty clear to me at this point confusion, chaos. Yes, there are groups of people out there that are being hired, most likely being hired, it's it's most probable, uh, by uh, agencies and corporations that are used by the government to promote this stuff. And there's useful dupes like myself. Then there's... um, What else is there? Well, you know, then there's... um, I guess conspiracy theorists, people who just oh don't believe anything. Um, that's in many ways that would probably be me at this point. So, well, there's many motives and many reasons why to be pushing this story. What I find fascinating is is the delusion that we're actually doing anything about anything. It's masterful. So why a lot of these conscientious people like myself, I would say, or others who kind of trying to search for the truth, uh, waking up to the, the staged events, which seem to be around all my, at least my adult life, um, whether people died or not is a whole other thing, it's, and it's an important issue, but at the end of the day, Stage event to stage event. Why did they do it? Cause chaos and fear, confusion, further dependency on the government, which is controlled by Rome, banksters, the crown, as we learned, and we'll learn some more about in a little bit. Why'd they do it? Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this so it might help me go to sleep because I just can't. You know, uh, it's one of those things. 
probably should get back to the idea I used to at least jotting the stuff down. Well, sometimes it's better just to kind of just talk it out, even if I'm just talking to a screen. I know that seems kind of crazy, but uh, let's face it. We go through our lives talking in our heads. Sometimes it's just even the illusion that somebody might be listening now or in the future. Which is not an illusion, but people will. But the hope, I guess. So, an illusion in a sense because we're, I'm staring at a screen instead of talking to a person. Of course, if I did talk to a person, I wouldn't uh, go this way. No, I'd be inter- interrupted too many times and rather than I get my thoughts across. Uh, this is my first attempt at this. I'm sure I will change things. Insights will, my insights will uh, expand as I hear other things. But if I look at all this stuff and just how it's just blown up on the Internet and on television, it's clear that it's deliberate. It's clear that there's many facets. It's clear that the government's behind this in many ways. It's clear that there's other folks like myself, big mouths, who are starting to figure things out and is becoming an obsession in itself. A grand distraction. The latest hoax. It's almost like a new version of reality TV. Reality TV. Yes. A cross between reality TV and who's done it. You know, like a detective novel or something like that. A mystery novel. And so it's it's brilliant. Well, people say, you know, and then the question is, well, where are these folks? Are they dead or are they somewhere in Bahamas? I don't know. Heck, they could still be living in that town. Let's face it, we're so disconnected at this point. The girl could probably be walking around. Everybody still walking around town doesn't have a good old laugh. Most people won't even notice. Let's face it. Dire hair, who knows? Who knows? What I find fascinating, though, is the fact that we, myself, I'm buying into this, regardless if it's real or not. They look back at the local media and how they report to today's shooting. Once in a while, they'll talk about something a little more graphic, like uh, a pedophile ring or child a prostitution ring cut the thing. What's that thing, Jason? But, um, or drug bust, or a fire. That's really necessary for social control, certainly, and it goes along with what Eric Kohler said, or Kohler said, uh, that we need to brainwash the populace on a daily basis, give them reports about how bad guns are and to get them out. It's really not really that interested in same. Really, in the day, but I don't know. They say so, but you know, even the places where it's you know, uh, they got really 
you know, heavy uh, gun control rules and laws, whatever you want to call them. Like Chicago, Detroit, stuff people are getting camped left and right, even more so in those communities than in others. So, is it really even about gun control or population control? I don't know. I do know one thing. Uh, it doesn't look good. And if we look at what the role of um, the Jesuits, the path we see, what their desire is to have global dominance, they want to rule every aspect of your life and make you subordinate to them and make you know, feel, oh, we got to absolutely have them. Got the got to have the Jesuits. Got the Jesuit education, or else can't get even a job. It seems to be leading that way. That's all I'm saying. Whatever is worse. Other thing I just forewarn everybody is to be real careful about these uh, staged events and as they ramp up. Apparently, new legislation was passed a few years ago to justify it. Has been increasing. If you look at Dave McGowan, was that a message sent to us? I have a hard time believing a guy was kicking it. You know, he was a chain smoke and all that after having that show about Boston bombing, ends up getting this really fast acting cancer. May your prayers be out for Dave. May he find the Lord. May he find salvation. May he find comfort. May he be protected, and may he um, heal. And all glory to God, and praise to God, for he knows what's best. Yeah, but, you know, is, is that, was that a message? You know, it is a great way to actually track people that might be potential problems. And in fact, these once again, these staged events are have multi purposes and uh, are a brilliant strategy. Tie it in with the internet. Very easy to track, compartmentalize, and label people. So when the time comes, which it will be coming. Remember, knocked on my door or your door or somebody else's door and said, Ah, you are a potential problem. People say it couldn't happen here. They say that everywhere, and then it happens. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing is or not, right thing is to do or not. Is it just to avoid all this stuff, ignore it? Is that what they really want us to do? Maybe for the majority. But again, they also need people like us to justify their jobs. Even though we're really no threat, I mean, we're never going to do anything about any of this stuff. Nobody's going to give a march saying, you know what? We're sick of your false flags. Stop your false flags. No, not, I don't see it happening. There's not going to be no campaign to say it's enough's enough. 
So I think of it as it's just chaos, order of chaos. How unnecessary it is for this new world order that we lose faith in everything. And we beg for a new master. You know, in the end, as Hugh says, but whose song, I, um, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Literally. So, I really think in the end of the day, that's what it is. I really think it is the lady in red, the lady in the red dress, grandest direction. I feel stupid for even following it at this point. I really think that uh, probably what happened today was a message. And I, what do I say? Is it not important that people track these things and pay attention? I think you should. There should be people with it. But at the end of the day, folks, if we're not going to do anything about it, what's the point? The only thing I can think of the point is, is that, you know what, once again, a fine example of a fallen state of man, that we need a Savior, and I'm putting my money in on Jesus Christ. He's only the God's son, so. Sorry for my rants. Sorry for my simplicity. Sorry that I'm not more flowery in my talk, but speech, whatever. I don't know what else to say. So, sometimes I wish I'd just go back to my whole life. Don't you, sometimes? I miss the old days of just hanging out, playing music, not thinking about anything. I think we miss it. I wish we could have that. But maybe that's what will happen anyways. Whether I want it to or not. Okay, we'll finish up the tail end of uh, part three of the six-part series of uh, The True History of America, an interview of uh, uh, between uh, the Informer and Visigoth. Very insightful stuff about our history, about the crown, about the papacy, about how the legal system is, what really happens in this country, about the Constitution, who had really benefited. And, um, yeah, we'll just finish it up. So, so it'd be three hours plus more of this, and uh, I think it's worth the time. And then we'll go from there. Like I said, well, if tomorrow night, I have the opportunity to actually speak with Visigoth. And then Tuesday with Gordy Comstock. And then I don't know about the weekend with Johnny Sarushi. I'd like to, but it could be. I don't know how I'm going to do it because I can barely move myself, but I'm going to find some people to help me move. Be moving. So if that's the case, well, you know, fortunately, Alan Bailey interviewed him this morning, so I could share that. I told him I would replay it anyway, so I'll just maybe do that. Anyway. All right, here we go.
industries and businesses have their own lexicon. Right. So what they've done with term is when you, you take a word, but then when you want to, uh, let's say, have it have a designation specifically to what you're doing, whatever that should be, whether it's the law, it's the science, art, that's where it changes, isn't it? Yes, that's where it changes. It, it, all right, you're taking some kind of word, you're saying, okay, in this particular field, it has this designation. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Just like when they say domestic and foreign in uh, 7701A, I think it's 3 and 4, <clears throat> all right? Uh, domestic means to the United States where the law is written. Foreign means to the states out in the Union. <laughs> and then when they say a corporation, you know, it's a domestic corporation, just like Bruce Shaver. Okay, let's look at that case. I'm going to stop right here because I know we probably don't have much longer to go. Yeah, you know, coming up on uh, three minutes. Okay. Um, uh, Bruce Shaver lived in Kings County. I have all the documents from Kings County, New York, and worked as a clerk, but that was in New York. That's foreign. So when he had stock in the uh, Union Pacific Railroad, the United States owned it. That is a domestic corporation. He had stock in a domestic corporation, was a foreign entity, and had to pay the amount of money that the IRS said he had to pay because it was a domestic corporation and he was a foreign stockholder. It's that simple. But to the average person listening to this, it's like, huh, what? Well, you've got to understand the words and terms. Yeah, I mean, that gives another whole slant, even a, a deepening of the uh, term uh, legalese. Right. All right. Uh, we're talking with um, with Ivan. He's the informer. You can go to uh, atgpress.com. That stands for Against the, uh, the Grain. And you'll find his writings, and that's where I'm at right now, as he's talking about terms and not words and such. And um, I don't know. How do we do today as far as uh, the goal that you set for covering information? Well, let me see. Um, <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> I'm down on page six, and I've got to go to uh, page 13. So we covered half of it. Well, I tell you what, I know it's painstaking, and you are being such because it is important to be precise. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm I'm very grateful, and I know the listeners are for, for you to do this. Um, one last thing, if you could, as we close out, can you, if you have it at hand. One more um, take on, on the address of the American Inns of Court. Can you give me that again? Oh, okay. The American Inns of Court. Uh, let me do it right here. Uh, okay, it's American Inns of Court Foundation, 127 South Payton Street, P-E-Y-T-O-N, Suite 201, Alexandria, Virginia, 2234, I'm uh, sorry, 22314. And uh, you'll get their introduction and the blurb of what it's supposed to be. Read it with a grain of salt because they're telling the myth of what they are when they're really not.
to the Grassy Knoll on this May 4th, 2006, and uh, we're doing this from um, the land known as Braddock Pines down here in Florida, uh, and now on AM 1400 WZHR. So I can tell you now, because of that, that indeed <laughs> the views expressed on the Grassy Knoll are those of the management, which I am, and the staff, which is I, which I am, and uh, not the advertisers because we don't have any. So at any rate, uh, we're, we're free of, uh, of that particular disclaimer. But what we're doing today is uh, rejoining uh, the informer who's been with us uh, for, what, three parts, I believe. And um, had a little hardware problem there for a while and uh, had to check on his health and such. But he's back with us, and, um, and we're glad he is. There's a lot of people that want to uh, hear what you have to say. And uh, I'm in, uh, thanks very much for uh, coming back to the grassy knoll. Oh, thanks. Uh, I don't mind it at all. Uh, I, I hope you feel more comfortable. I mean, it, I, you had a lot of doubts, I guess. You know, you expressed as much in, uh, in emails that went back and forth between us. But um, you make it right. I mean, a lot of people who had questions about this, in the, in the sense that they might have been naysayers or, uh, you know, critics, aren't necessarily the, that in that status right now. So uh, thanks a lot for coming on. And, and um let me just get uh, this down before we start. If people want to either right now or when they listen to this in the archives, uh, check out um, what you've written about, much about what you're going to speak to today. Uh, they can do so at atgpress.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. All right, and I, I put a link uh, that would bring them right to your particular portion or section of that website so they can hit on that. If you go to visigot.com and, and look in the uh, – either in the upcoming shows or in the, uh, the audio, which uh, we still uh, have uh, the last three segments with the uh, I-Man, you'll be able to get right to his page. So if he refers to such, I know I'm going to go there, and I would suggest you do too. I want to uh, also um, add one other change, if I could, before we get into the, uh, the good stuff, and that is if you want to IM, instant message, you can. You can do it via uh, MSN. All right, that would be Visigoth, or at Yahoo, and that would be Viz, B-Y-Z, 1400. So if you want to shoot a question uh, to the I-Man, you may do that. This is all brand new. I don't expect to take it, um, for it all to take it one time, but, um, and that's what we'll do now. In, in time to come, I might install an 800 number, but first things first. Okay, so if you want to uh, get in touch with us, please, uh, add, um, uh, uh, what is it, uh, my MSN Messenger? which is Visigoth, or also at um, Yahoo, which is Biz1400, or shoot me an email, which I'm checking all throughout this time, at Visigoth at Hotmail.com. It's B-Y-Z-Y-G-O-T-H. Now, where shall we start a wide map? Well, I had wrote a letter to a researcher who um, was um, got some flack from a naysayer down in Texas, and... Um, I just kind of blew off some steam with the, the letter that I had to him, so uh, I had been running through a lot of my stuff, wondering what I could use uh, for this show, and I decided, well, I'll just try this letter first, and like I say, it is a letter, and it's probably about 10 or 12 pages, and it's got a lot of meat in it that I was expressing to him of what to look for. Um, because he didn't have the information that I had to rebut the naysayer that was, uh, you know, 
cognitive dissonance took over its place because it's so foreign to the mind that, uh, you know, uh, once a lie is started and there's been a lie for 200 years, people tend to believe the lie and when the truth hits them, you know, they still tend to believe the lie because the truth is so foreign that they feel it's got to be a lie. <laughs> so uh, that's why I just picked this uh, letter. And like I say, it is in letter form, and I'll be reading it. Um, so, you know, I hope it isn't dry for them. Well, I mean, just before you start, you know, I'm really bad about interrupting you, but when you say it's been alive for 200 years, you know, the length of time doesn't make it any more true no. or true at all. But are we really facing the situation, though, I'm in, that it's been a lot of lies that were constructed 200 years ago, and we really, most of us have never hit upon the fact that we're encompassed by them. Right, right. That's that's uh, that's true. It's just like um, all the lies that you know the president says and the government says today. That uh, well, even like uh, Roosevelt during the war, you know, there was lies that uh, the Japs, you know, came after us when, in fact, uh, Roosevelt, right after he got into office in 1933, wanted to create a war with uh, Japan because it had to protect the Rockefeller's uh, oil fields in China. And uh, it wasn't known until, you know, just recently of what FDR did and how bad he was. And he allowed the uh, attack to happen to go the people into standing behind him to institute World War II. So, you know, a lot of things come out, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. But uh, this is so big that they can't allow this truth to come out. And uh, it's by going through a lot of different cases and reading the actual words of the cases. And it's uh, put me in mind of just recently the fact that today's kids can't even locate most of the states in the country. What, you do that yesterday? Uh, yeah, well, I had seen that quite a few times before on the emails before it hit the, the major, you know, uh, news media. But uh, that's the truth because uh, I've dealt with a lot of kids and I used to be uh, with Boy Scouts for 24 years and uh, I could see the, the dumbing down of the kids uh, because in the Boy Scouts we teach them a lot of other stuff and a lot of it's, you know, compass and and geography and stuff like this. And uh, I found from 1970 all the way up to 1989, gee, you know, the kids are getting dumber, you know? Mm -hmm. They're not getting smarter. Right. And uh, there's a lot of things like that. So when you, when you go in to read these cases and you know the English language and grammar and how to diagram a sentence, which when I went to school, that's all we did was diagram sentences. but. See, since 1990, uh, I used that a lot uh, when I wrote my books and diagramming sentences and uh, to get the meat of what it was and what they were really saying, not what just appeared to be what they were saying on, you know, in the words. And, of course, they, they changed the words to be a term, and any time you see the word term, I'd say the word term, but any time you see term in a statute, it's different than if it was a word. And I would say they take uh, corn, and it's a word. And if they say the term corn means, 
then it's what that means, not what the word corn means, like corn on a cob, you eat it, it's food, you know. Right. Um, so you have to know what the statute says, uh, well, what the law says, and if it is couched in terms or is it couched in words. And because most of it is all statute, it's all couched in terms. And on ATG Press, there is a site in there that says terms, not words. And uh, that would be good for people to, to read. And if they also want to be, become educated in it, is to go and get a book on diagramming sentences and uh, start playing around with small sentences. And you'd be amazed at what they find out is the predicate and what's the adverb and what's the subject. And, you know, they all come into into play, and uh, but how so? I mean, is it is it because you have to, for instance, um, uh, identify, shall we say, a um, a parenthetical clause? Right. I guess a non-restrictive clause they would call it, which uh, if you pull out, uh, might change. Yeah, well, if you pull out the parenthetical clause, and it still makes sense, then you can throw the parenthetical clause away. Yeah, and if it's there, sometimes it does color. Right. Differently, the entire sentence. Yes, it does. Oh, well, they meant, they want you to believe it means that, and it really doesn't mean that. <laughs> I mean, we all have to admit, though, that everything from legislation to your insurance policy is such written obfuscation that it does exactly what I guess it's intended to do, and that is make the reader uh, tire and, and just get exhausted. Yeah, it does, and uh, you know. Uh, I used to sit down and read every little fine print and everything, and my wife would always say, what are you doing that for? Sign it. I said, yeah, okay. I'll sign it. Are you going to sign your life away? You know? And after a few years of that, she really got uh, not annoyed anymore. And I said, see this? If I didn't read this, this is what we would be paying. And uh, she realized that uh, the fine print means a lot. Yes, it does. And, you know, when they say fine print, sometimes it's bolded and big words, and that is actually considered fine print in law. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can do it right in your face. It's the way in which they do it. Right. And at what point they put it in, I mean, because if they can put it, you know, 17 paragraphs deep, uh -huh. you're likely not to get there. No, no. So Most not necessarily don't. fine print, but certainly uh, buried uh, for your... Uh, um, <laughs> I would well, you. Yeah, well, most of the time, you know, if people really sat down and read it, they wouldn't sign the contract. <laughs> yeah, well, that's hap I'll tell you what, that's happened on the Internet when you have this bit about I agree. Uh-huh. You don't read everything. No. And you don't know what you're agreeing to. Right. And we all do that, and that's, uh, that is a real perilous uh, uh, practice. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, they should read, even if they take one. Just read one of the things, like if you go on to a line and they say, join this club, or uh, in order to go to the radio station or for the uh, TV station, you have to uh, agree to the terms. Well, just, you know, you don't have to read them all. Just take one and read entirely through the terms. And most of them will be shocked at what they got themselves into when they agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Therefore... Where are we now? Oh, okay. Well, let me start with this letter. Uh, this letter was to the, to the friend, and I said, we were talking about the John Barron case, and this fellow was uh, supposedly a guru, and he was claiming that he never won, never lost a case, and he was doing this, and I had 
sent a letter to him in email, and uh, I told him that he was wrong and so on and so forth. And, of course, you know, they and they say, and no, he was right and I was wrong and so on and so forth. Well, after a while, he got it got to him and he started reading something up on it. And he wrote to this guy and he says, you know what? I just found something, and this is a 2000 now. He says, I just found something that I couldn't believe it. And uh, it wasn't my stuff, but it was based on my stuff that I told him before previously about six months to look at it. And he says, man, i got to rethink all my stuff. <laughs> so this guy wrote me the letter and sent me what he sent him. And I says, yep, so this is why I wrote the letter back to this fella and say, well, you could use a lot of this stuff to show him. Because I didn't want to be bothered with arguing with him because it never gets anywhere. All right. So, um, this one here, um, I did have a constitutional law book titled Cases of Constitutional Law, all right, and it's ripe in cases on John Barron, and it's more than 1,086 pages. There are cases in there that did not, that weren't brought up, they're just important, and I says to him, one being Hepburn and Dundee's versus Elazee. And it's 2 Cranch 445, in case any of the listeners want to pull it, which I suggest they do. Would you repeat that, please? Dundas, uh, it's Hepburn and Dundas, D-U-N-D-A-S, versus Elizee, E-L-L-E-Z-Y. And they can find it, not online, <clears throat> I doubt it, it's uh, in the library, and it's 2 Cranch 445. Cranch is the uh, clerk of the court back those days, and any time you see Cranch or a name after it, uh, that means that the, the case is um, before they gave it U.S. code numbers, and it was the clerk of the court, and that's why it was this particular one is Cranch. All right, so when you see that, it predates? Uh, oh, it's like in the 1790s and uh, the early 1800s. What is your guess as, when, uh, as to when this case uh, was adjudicated? Um, I do have the case here, but I can't reach it. That's okay. <laughs> and uh, I think it was right around uh, 1800, 1802. Okay. And in there it says, now this, this is where, you know, people have to read it. It's hard to understand it. on the radio, but the words are there, and when they read it, it it's different, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. A citizen of the District of Columbia cannot maintain an action against a citizen of Virginia in the circuit court for the District of Virginia. A citizen of the District of Columbia is not a citizen of a state within the meaning of the Constitution. That's the quote. And I said, said to the fellow, reading this, it goes way over people's heads, and they're not aware. As Montgomery found out, the President of Washington created the states as districts in 1791, hence the phrase, District of Virginia, in the above case. See, people looking at it, District of Virginia, you know, it just goes over the head. You know, what is the District of Virginia? Well, it's not Virginia, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> Like I said, it's important to get the case and read it. It's right with info that will wipe out the myth that the people had had on jurisdiction. One quick question, but when you hear about people going to district court, uh -huh. is that the, um, a result of that kind of uh, terminology? Yeah, uh, because uh, you see, 
When Washington created the districts in 1791, it was because of the banks. And they, they had to have districts because they had control uh, of the banks, and they would not allow the states to control the banks. And that's why the McCulloch, uh, Maryland versus McCulloch was bought up when Chief Justice John Marshall made the ruling on that, and that was in a district court. So what they did is when he overlaid over the physical ground a state called a district, it was a fiction. And that's why it was uh, district courts in district states, and they broke up the states into distant, different districts. Some states being small would have one district court, other states being large would have maybe four or five district courts located in different parts of the state. Like North Carolina has the, the middle district, the Eastern District and the Western District. So there's three dis uh, distinct districts, but they're in the District of North Carolina. They don't say that, but in this case, they bring it out and it says, in the District of Virginia. All right. So what happened was uh, they're not on the same footing in the District of Columbia, and the plaintiff could not sue in Virginia. So the defense brought up the and this is a statement of the defense. Even if the Constitution of the United States authorizes a more enlarged jurisdiction than that the Judiciary Act of 1789 has given, yet the court can take no jurisdiction which is not given by that act. Therefore, call for the law which gives a jurisdiction in the case. And to quote, this is what the what the um, defense was asking the court to bring it in. Now, the response was given by the plaintiff to rebut the above statement, but the court overlooked that, and the court gave its decision and sided with the defense when Justice Marshall said, quote, the opinion to be certified to the circuit court is that that court has no jurisdiction in the case, case dismissed. So basically, the Judiciary Act of 1789 is what gives the federal courts their jurisdiction, not the Congress, as so many people believe. And as the defense attorney said, if it's not to be found, the jurisdiction, in that act, that's the 1789, the federal court does not have it. Today, they just willy-nilly take whatever they want. But no one... Uh, that's why these old cases are so important, because it gives a lot of information as to what truly is going on. And people have been brought up not knowing this and not knowing that the 1789 Judiciary Act, which was created, uh, is the only act that gives any of the federal district courts their jurisdiction. So here you have direct admission that the lawyers back then were dictating the parameters in which the court had jurisdiction. So I, I cited this in the American Bar by Charles Warren, and uh, <clears throat> uh, the book, The New History, uh, I told the fellow he might pay to reread it in light of the revelation of this revelation the guy was talking about. So then I said, okay, now let's go back to Barron. In the constitutional book, it was printed in 1968, it states, quote, while most rights in the Bill of Rights now do apply to the states. They do so only because they are essential to due process of law. The ruling in the present case that the Bill of Rights does not apply directly to the states has never been overruled. Oh, yeah, that sounds to me like they're using the Bill of Rights like a light switch. 
sometimes on, sometimes off. That's right. Well, now, in um, 1896, Barron was brought up again at Brown versus Walker, and they broached it on self-incrimination. And now the book, I'm talking about the book, the constitutional book, because it, it, it explains in detail, it actually annotates what the court is saying. In 1956, the court reaffirmed the Brown decision in Ullman versus United States. It rejected the defendant's argument that the impact of the disabilities imposed by federal and state authorities and the public in general, such as loss of job, expulsion from labor, unions, state registration, and investigation statutes, passport eligibility, and general public program is so oppressive that the statute does not give him true immunity. The statute, like the Fifth Amendment provision, protects the witness only from having to give testimony which may possibly expose him to a criminal charge. That is what the book says. They also said, since Congress needs not grant immunity from state prosecution in order to compel testimony, the question arises whether it may do so if it wishes. Right. The control over evidence admissible in state courts is traditionally a question of state power, and even the Supreme Court, in administering the due process clause, has been reluctant to interfere with this state prerogative. In Adams v. Maryland, 1954, the court held that Congress could, under the supremacy doctrine, forbid a state to use testimony given before a congressional committee. Adams had been summoned before the state Senate Crimes Investigation, that's Kefauver Committee, and had bared his soul concerning his boob-making activities. Uh, what would that <laughs> be? <His> boob. <laughs> He was making implants? But it's a misprint. Oh. <laughs> That's what it says, the boob making activities. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, maybe it was into porn or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the state of Maryland, which had been unable to get other evidence against Adam, read the transcript of the committee hearing into the trial record as a confession, and he was convicted on illegal gambling. The Supreme Court reversed the conviction on the ground that 859 forbade the use of such testimony, quote, in any criminal proceeding against him in any court, end quote. The term there is any court. While Congress could not compel testimony under the statute, such testimony as was given was protected. And the phrase in any court included state courts as well as federal. Forbidding such use of the testimony was held to be necessary and proper way of securing testimony. The Immunity Act of 1954 uses the same language and the Adams interpretation was reaffirmed in the court in the Holman case. In the present case, a federal grand jury was investigating charges against a railroad that it had granted discriminatory rates and rebates. Brown, who was the officer of the railroad, was called as a witness but refused to answer certain questions on the ground that the answers would tend to accuse him and incriminate him. He was a judge in contempt for his refusal to answer. Hmm. Now, I'm going to read what the court says. Mr. Justice Brown delivered the opinion of the court, saying, in part, It is true that the Constitution does not operate upon a witness testifying in state courts. So, therefore, if you're in state court, you can't use the Fifth Amendment. 
right? Since we have held that the first eight amendments are limitations only upon the powers of Congress and the federal courts and are not applicable to the several states, except so far as the 14th Amendment may have made them applicable, and they cite Barron versus Baltimore. Or 1833. There is no such restriction, however, upon the applicability of federal statutes. The court here quotes a supremacy clause in Article 6. It says the act in question contains no suggestion that is to be applied only to federal courts. It declares broadly that no person shall be excused from attending and testifying before the Interstate Commerce Commission on the ground that the testimony required of him may tend to incriminate him. But no person shall be prosecuted or subjected to any penalty or forfeiture for or on account of any transaction, matter, or thing concerning which he may testify, etc. It is not that he shall not be prosecuted for or on account of any crime concerning which he may testify, which might possibly be urged to apply only to crimes under the federal law. But the immunity extends to any transaction, matter, or thing concerning which he may testify, which clearly indicates that the immunity is intended to be general and not to be applicable whenever and in whatever court such prosecution may be had. Now, it's quite lengthy. It goes on to more and more, but uh, I won't bore you with a lot of that stuff. But anyway, uh, they had a dissenting opinion, and they, uh, Justice White and Gray and Shearer's wrote the, uh, and Field wrote a separate dissent to that, which amounted to nothing, but the case was decided anyway. Now, to show you how powerful Barron was in Powell versus Alabama in 1932, and then in Palco versus Connecticut in 1937, Barron was brought up again. And here's the comment in the book. When the decision in Powell versus Alabama appeared that a long struggle to nationalize the Bill of Rights might at least be bearing fruit. You got that? Nationalizing the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights in Barron versus Baltimore was strictly for the United States and not anybody in the states, not to the states, nobody but only those 207 inhabitants of Washington, D.C. Oh, what is Barron's, by the way, or who is Barron's? Oh, on the that was um, that was uh, 32 U.S. 243. It was on a writ of error to the Court of Appeals for the Western Shore of the State of Maryland, and the guy used the provision in the Fifth Amendment, that declaring that private property should not be taken for public use without just compensation, and he brought it in because of the city of Baltimore under its corporate title of mayor in the city of Baltimore to recover damages to the wharf property of the plaintiff arising from the acts of the corporation. Maryland is a corporation. Baltimore is a corporation. If people would only realize that the entire government anywhere in this country is a corporation, that makes everything totally different. They are a corporate entity. How does that impact them, though, if they understand because they're part of the corporation, and that's why they can uh, are drug into the court, and everything is denied. They have no inalienable rights or unalienable rights. They only have granted rights by the corporation because they're presumed to be a corporate member. 
So, oh, okay. So, the case was instituted in the plaintiff in here against the city of Baltimore under its corporate title of the mayor and city of council of Baltimore to recover damages for injuries to the wharf of this guy arising from the acts of the town. And they really messed up his border, his wharf, everything, and he couldn't even use it, couldn't do any business off of it or anything. And then he brought up the Fifth Amendment. Well, gee, the city took my property and never reimbursed me for it under the Fifth Amendment. Okay? Well, he's in Maryland. Okay? Right. So he's thinking, okay, the Fifth Amendment applies. The Bill of Rights apply to me. Well, the court goes in and explains every one of the Bill of Rights and says they do not apply to you. You are not a, a, a part of the United States that would be con contravening the fifth article of the amendments, and therefore your private property can be taken for public use and you can't use the Bill of Rights. It don't, make, uh, don't apply to you. And it goes in through every one of them. And uh, Justice Marshall came out and it says, the plaintiff in error contends that it comes within the clause in the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution, which inhibits the taking of private property for public use without just compensation. He insists that this amendment, being in favor of the liberty of the citizen, ought to be so construed as to restrain the legislative power of a state, as well as that of the United States. If this proper session be untrue, the court can take no jurisdiction of the cause. The question thus presented is, we think, of great importance, but not of much difficulty. The Constitution was ordained and established by the people of the United States for themselves, for their own government and not for the government of the individual states. How do you like that? Do you want to translate that? That means that, like I said, when Congress, which is the United States, set up the Bill of Rights, it was only for them and their constituents in the District of Columbia for their own government and not for any of the governments of the individual states. Well, what it says each state established a constitution for itself, and in that constitution provided such limitations and restrictions on the powers of its particular government as the judgment dictated. The people of the United States, now I'm talking about the, the states, so this is where people have got to learn the United States is not the United States, what they believe to be. The United States is that little... A uh, bunch of criminals, the 535 people called Congress. In other words, Congress is doing business as the United States. Plain and simple. That's the bottom line of the whole thing. Now, is the United States of America a different thing? Nope. The United States of America. Of is, if you go to the dictionary, any dictionary means belonging to. Are you not of your mother and father? Right, right. Okay, I just stay, stated that you are of, belonging to, or from your mother and father. And, um, how does, what does the word America do to change any of the color uh, of the okay. United States? The United States belonging to America. America is the country. The United States is not the country. Ah. America is the country. If you go back into the old, old books and you get some of the old letters that I have, the people in Europe called this America. They didn't call it the United States. 
uh, well, we're going to America. Uh, we find that there are many uh, things in America that we would like. And on and on, I have reams of letters backdated in 1600 all the way up to uh, uh, 1790. And they all, and if you go in some of the old, old archives in the different states, and you look at the archives, you'll see America written across North America, separating Canada and, you know, and, and, and uh, Mexico. And it is termed, not the United States like it is today, it's termed America. Why have a song, America the Beautiful? Why not the United States be the beautiful? And God bless America. Right. Not God bless the United States. Well, it, it, was America always used to be expanded to what we're seeing threatened now? And that is some kind of uh, erased sovereignty between uh, Canada, the United States, and Mexico. I mean, we're, actually, we're all Americans, aren't we? Yeah, what it is is uh, Mexico is mainly Spanish and was um, owned by Spain, even Louisiana, and parts of uh, North New Mexico and parts of California and the Baja, down the Baja Peninsula. That was all owned by Spain. Mm -hmm. And uh, we overtook it and pushed them out, and we actually, uh, like they did to the American Indians here, they just, you know, the white people came in and took everything over, and then they just... The French owned part of it, and, and especially in Canada, and then the French helped uh, down here in the revolution and the fighting and so on and so forth. And in fact, little known part in history is the French was the first ones to do the scalping, and then they blamed it on the American Indian. The American Indian picked it up from the French. Oh, it's payback. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, all these things that people don't have any general knowledge of, that if they did, they boot this government out faster than you could uh, light a match. And the only problem is, though, what do you replace it with? Well, that's the problem. You'd have to replace it. Now, I've always thought, hey, if they, everybody claims, oh, gee, this is uh, divinely inspired. Well, it wasn't. And everything was under God, and everybody was talking about it. Why not put his law as the law of the land? Uh, are you asking me? Sure. Why not? Well, I tell you what, uh, you're asking somebody who's, who feels that if we were under divine law, we'd have a, a whole lot better society. Oh, yeah, we did. We would. But a lot of people don't like it. That's why there's so many fractions. That's why, uh, you know, the Lord never created a religion. Nothing like Catholic, Buddhist, libertarian, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there was no religion. It's right. not a religion. It was all these offshoots that came off, you know, like uh, the Episcopalians broke off from the Catholic, most of it, the Lutherans and the Baptists, and they're all offshoots of someone that didn't like what was going on in the Catholic part and decided that they would create their own religion. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. But if you read in the Bible, he never created a religion. His church was his law, and it was on this rock, which meant the earth, you know. I set my church upon this rock. He wasn't talking about Peter or anybody else, you know. That was his law, his constitution, and if you want it, okay. If you want to have mammon take over you, well, go ahead. But don't come complaining, come, uh, complaining to me that, you know, mm -hmm. mammon is doing this to you. You wanted it. You have free choice. You have free will. It's either my way or their way. And if it's their way, don't bother me. Well, well, I would agree that there's this thought that the Founding Fathers were just so um, predominantly Christian. Oh, yeah, they were. 
You think they were? Sure. Okay, because I don't think necessarily what they wrote as uh, the Constitution reflects that. I think that. Oh no. <laughs> well, no, that wasn't. That was uh, that was the works of the the Crown in 1783 in the treaty. That was the. Uh, that was the initiating point for creating the Constitution to allow the people to be free, but not the governments themselves and the plantations, because the Crown still wanted to control them. All right. And, and would you uh, would you uh, um, say that, uh, for instance, Jefferson and Franklin, who were pretty heavy hitters in that whole crew, were less Christian as they were probably rationalists? And yeah, because after all, you remember all those people that had the Constitution had property over in England. It wasn't just here. They had they were millionaires over in England and they were here. And the Crown says, You do it our way or we're gonna seize every piece of property you got over here and you ain't gonna have squat and we'll run a blockade against the United States because you don't have a navy. We got all the navy we want. We'll run a blockade against you. So if you don't count out to what we tell you to do, we're dead meat. So what would they do? If you owned and millionaires and had castles and loads of property in Europe, and you came over here and you started to fight with them and saying all this stuff, and they said, well, hey, we're going to take all your planes and your boats and your trains and your Ferraris and your castles and everything, and you ain't going to have nothing, what would you do? Uh, revolt. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you'd revolt, or you'd say, "Okay, don't take my stuff off." What do you want me to do? Oh, you want me to do? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> All right. So anyway, in in Barron, um, that's what they said. In other words, each state established the constitution and all this. So the powers they conferred on this government were to be exercised by itself, and the limitations on power are, and expressed in general terms are naturally, we think, necessarily applicable to the government created by the instrument. That means Constitution. Okay. There are limitations and powers in the instrument, and it goes on and talks about that. But the bottom line was, if these propositions be correct, the Fifth Amendment must be understood as restraining the power of general government, not as applicable to the states. That's why he couldn't do it. The counsel for the plaintiff and heir insisted the Constitution was intended to secure the people of the several states against the undue exercise of power by the respective state governments, as well as against that which might be attempted by the general government, which meant the United States. In support of this argument, he relies on the inhibitions contained in the tenth section of the first article. We think that section affords a strong, if not a conclusive, argument in support of the opinion already indicated by the court. That means that uh, you're screwed, people in the state. You can't use the Bill of Rights. Uh, so they go into the ninth section and the nature of the Bill of Rights intended to be imposed on the powers of the general government. The ten proceeds to enumerate those which operate on the state. The restrictions are brought together in the same section, and they are suppressed in words applied to the states. Quote, no state shall enter in any treaty, etc. Perceiving that in a constitutional framed by the people of the United States, not the states now. Mm -hmm. For the government of all, no limitation of the action of government on the people would apply to the state government unless expressed in terms the restrictions contained in the tenth section are in direct words so applied to the states. That's the only thing in the Bill of Rights that applied to the states, not the people.
What's the difference between the states and the people? Right. What's the difference between the states and the people? Are they seen as being different? Uh, no. Um, if you go read the definition in ATG Press on um, person, there's just a little caption on there. Scroll down to find person, and you open that up. It will tell you what the people means. People are a body politic, are part of the corporation. So if you're a people, and you're referring to you as the people of the state of, or the people of the United States, that means that you are a part and parcel of the body politic in your corporate capacity, no longer having the man distinction, but person distinction, which is a fiction. Where does that definition come from? Is that from blacks? Pardon? Where do those definitions come from? Oh, it comes out of um, the LaSalle Law Review uh, by, uh, oh, it goes back to uh, the Roman times. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's all it's all in there. It goes all the way back and tells you where where the uh, uh, the etymology of the word originated from. Okay. So, um, the end of the court of the Barron case, we are of the opinion that the provision of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution declaring that private property should not be taken for public use without just compensation is intended solely as a limitation on the power by the government of the United States and is not applicable to the legislation of any state. We are therefore of the opinion there's no repugnancy between the several acts of the Assemble of, the, of Maryland, given the evidence by the defendants at the trial that the Constitution and this court, therefore, has no jurisdiction of the cause, and it is dismissed. The guy lost on use of Bill of Rights. Now, going back to uh, the letter that I was writing to this guy, there are some rather interesting things because, you know, they're quoting the Barron case. Now, It will tell you where the Fifth Amendments do now come in, but not as the Fifth Amendment. It's, it's hard to understand that, but in reading this, you might come in. The court had acknowledged that it no longer felt bound by the Hurtado reasoning, the application of the states to the Fifth Amendment, right to just compensation, and the First Amendment rights of free speech, press, religion, and assembly, showed that some of the Bill of Rights guarantees could be applied to the states through due process of law. And now in the PAL, the court for the first time had found one of the rights of persons accused of crime to be essential to due process. The Palco case, printed below, made clear that the court was not prepared to abandon the earlier decisions such as Hurtado and Twinning. Instead, it undertook to explain why some rights, such as the rights to counsel and free speech, are absorbed into due process, and why others, now get this, like jury trial and grand jury indictment, are not brought into due process. It should be emphasized that the cases absorbing rights into, now here's where the due process comes from, the 14th Amendment. Do not overrule Barron versus Baltimore, 1820. The provisions of the Federal Bill of Rights still limit directly only the federal 
government. It is the 14th Amendment which limits the states. What the court has done is to reverse the practical effect of the rule in Barron versus Baltimore with respect to part, but not all, of the Bill of Rights. Some of these rights are still not considered by the court to be so fundamental as to be required by due process of law. The court, in case after case, has been classifying the provisions of the Bill of Rights into those which are essential to due process of law and thus bind the states through operation of the 14th Amendment and those which are not essential to due process and by which the states are not bound. In effect, the court has established an honor roll of superior rights which both bind both the state and national governments. The opinion in the present case is important since it gives an official summary of the classification up to 1937 and states clearly the principles upon which the classification rests. All right. Now, can, can I, I, I just focus because the 14th Amendment comes up again. Yep. And when you look at the language, a lot of times it seems pretty, let's just say, innocent. Yeah. Yet we all know that something took place there. Right. What was it that, that happened to us with the, uh, um, the 14th Amendment being ratified? Well, it really wasn't ratified, and it is yeah, constitutional. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've got to go with what the, the controlling power says it is because they're ruling everybody here. And it doesn't matter what we say, what things ought to be, it's reality as what is. So um, this part here would probably bring it up. In another situation, for a very different purpose, the court classified the provisions of the Federal Bill of Rights in fixing the constitutional status of territories, got that, territories after the war with Spain. The court held that the governing unincorporated territories, such as Puerto Rico and the Philippines, Congress was restricting only those guarantees in the Bill of Rights, which are basic and fundamental and which are not those which are merely procedural or remedial, such as the guarantee of right to trial by jury. See, Balzic versus Puerto Rico, and the classification came in Palco versus Connecticut. One question on which the Palco case failed to answer satisfactorily was it meant by absorption or incorporation of a Bill of Rights guarantee in the due process. Did it mean that the right as listed in the Bill of Rights and interpreted by the Supreme Court in federal cases was made applicable to the states? Or was the right as applied to the states a more general right, less clearly defined, and permitting more leeway and discretion on the parts of the states? That's the two questions that's asked in this by these law professors. Clearly, incorporation of the First Amendment has met its application to the states exactly as it's applied to the national government. Justice Brandeis and Holmes in their dissent in the Gitlow case suggested that the free speech applicable to the states perhaps, quote, may be accepted with a somewhat larger latitude of interpretation than is allowed to Congress by the sweeping language that governs or ought to govern the laws of the United States. They say the laws of the states. Right. The court, however, has never acknowledged such a distinction, and the same rules for deciding such cases are applied to states and nation alike, with the gradual extension of due process to include other rights. So, in other words, you know, they brought everything in through the 14th Amendment. 
Um, now, another case is United States versus Lanza. And um, that was uh, Justice Taft delivered the opinion. Here we have two sovereignties deriving power from different sources capable of dealing with the same subject matter within the territory. Each may, without interference by the other, enact laws to secure prohibition, with the limitation that no legislation can give validity to acts prohibited by the amendment. Each government, in determining what it shall be an offense against its peace and dignity, is exercising its own sovereignty, not that of the other. They're talking about the difference between the United States, Congress, and the states. The Fifth Amendment, like all other guarantees in the first eight amendments, applies only to proceedings in the federal government. Barron versus Baltimore brings it right up. And double jeopardy therein forbidden in a second prosecution under authority of the federal government after a first trial for the same offense under the same authority. Hey, wait a minute. What happened up there in the Andy Weaver, the Weaver case? Didn't they come in with the state and the federal? Yeah. Can't do it. Not according to this. Now, had the attorney or whoever it was been fighting for him bought up Barron versus uh, Baltimore, he would not have been put in double jeopardy, which he was. But doesn't have to happen one after the other. This was uh, coincidental. Is, is, isn't it, doesn't it apply necessarily to being tried? No, because I'll read what it says. Here, the same act was an offense against the state of Washington because a violation of its law and also an offense against the United States under the National Prohibition Act. The defendants thus committed two different offenses by the same act, and a conviction by a court of Washington of the offense against the state is not a conviction of a different offense against the United States, and so is not double jeopardy. See how they got around it? If Congress sees fit to bar prosecution by the federal courts for any act when punishment for violation of state prohibition has been opposed, it can, of course, do so by proper legislative provision, but it has not done so. If a state were to punish the manufacture, transportation, or sale of intoxicating liquor by smaller nominal fees, the race of offenders to the courts of that state to plead guilty and secure immunity from federal prosecution for such acts would not make for the respect of the federal statute or for its deterrent effect. But it is not for us to discuss the wisdom of legislation. See, they don't want to get involved with that. It is enough for us to hold that. In the absence of special provision by Congress, conviction and punishment in a state court under a state law for making, transporting, and selling intoxicating liquors is not a bar to a prosecution in the court of the United States under federal law for the same act. Uh, Judgment but, reversed. But let's go back. I mean, because you know, there's something I noticed, and I'd like you not to, uh, to leave us too soon. Okay. It said... Uh, if a state were to punish the manufacturer, transportation, sale of intoxicating liquor by smaller nominal fines, the race of offenders to the courts of that state to plead guilty and secure immunity from federal prosecution for such acts uh, would not make for respect of the federal statute. Right. Now, would you break that down for us? In other words, what I'm thinking is somebody would, if somebody's committing an offense that would necessarily bring it, I'm assuming, from one state to another, They'll plead, take the rap from the state, and look at the federal government and say, I already paid the price. Right. Right. That's basically what it says. But here's the, here's the kick. All right? All right. Here's the kick. This case uh, was in 1922. Obviously during Prohibition. Yeah. And 
and it was also before the War Powers Act was declared that made every state a territory of the United States. Now, the war, let me just stop you there. The War Powers Act making every state a, a territory? Yep. Is that any different than what you, we've spoken about uh, when Washington made them all districts? No, that was different. Uh, can you tell us why that's different? Okay. Um, under the War Powers, that was, uh, well, Washington created the first war, used the first War Powers Act to create the district courts and bring in the Bank of the United States, the first Bank of the United States, which was a foreign-owned concern by the Bank of England, and it had nothing to do with anybody owning anything in the United States. And uh, I have, a, I have a, the actual document here, I can't put my hands on it because it's out in the garage, that says that Justice John Marshall owned 7,800-some-odd shares of the bank as a foreign investor. Oh, wait a minute. Everybody would say, ain't that the Bank of the United States? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, if I set up a bank in France, I could call it the first bank of France, huh? But it isn't nothing to do with France. It has everything to do with me. Well, that's what happened, is uh, the first bank of the United States was set up by the Exchequer or the Crown or, a.k.a., the Bank of England. All right, now the Crown... Once again, let's just focus on it. It's been a while since... Um, yeah, the crown is not like everybody believes when you talk about the crown, the king or queen of the crown. The crown was that little thing called the City of London where it ruled the king. It gave all the king the money, and it's just like here today. The Federal Reserve is nothing to do with the U.S. government. It is a private consortium of the Bank of England. So, so using the United States name in, in a, a bank charter, uh, they could have named it the Bank of Mongolia. Oh, yeah, it's just like uh, United States Van Line or United Van Line or anything that has the United States in it um, doesn't necessarily mean it's the United States. And obviously, you know, the Federal Reserve, by throwing in the word federal, right, made us all believe. And that's one of the greatest canards there is today in this country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that even bankers, though, I man, bankers don't even know that the Federal Reserve is a private bank. It's got nothing to do with the, with the government. I know, they're just as dumbed down as the people of the of this country because, after all, they came from the same schools, didn't they? Duh. <laughs> I know, but when you're in the business, you think that you you know, but you know what it is? You're told this, you're indoctrinated, you don't look behind the curtain, and so you go on. Right, like the Wizard of Oz. Well, that's like uh, when my mother was uh, paying everything in uh, U.S. coin here and for property taxes and so on and so forth, and they wouldn't accept the U.S. coin. And I went down with her, and I explained everything to the commissioner down there in the tax bureau. And he said to my mother, was God is my witness, he said, well, you know the banks run this country, don't you? Well, good for him. Yeah, so he knew. But, you know, this guy was an old-timer. This guy was about 72 years old. <laughs> so, he, you know, he grew up knowing what, what was going on. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, could you, could you divine from his attitude that um, he was pompous about it or, or that he was saying, you know, isn't this a bitch? That's basically what he was saying okay. to my mom without her coming out with the words like that. <laughs> but okay. anyway... Uh, he he walked over to the clerk and he says, "You will accept these coin as payment for the tax." Jeez. 
and uh, she had to count it all out. It was all wrapped up. I said, hey, why don't you weigh one, open it up. It's got, you know, the Susan B's was $25 in it. And I uh, says, open it up, make sure it's got $25 on it, put it on a scale, weigh it, get however many ounces it weighs, put every one on there, and if it doesn't come up to that ounce, you know that there's something wrong. No, she had to break everyone open and count $890 out by hand. That's what she didn't want to do. But this guy sat there as he walked away with a little smile on his face and winked at mom. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and we, uh, we, she paid off in silver then, is that right? Uh, no, we didn't have the silver because uh, we didn't want to pay silver at the par value of the uh, Federal Reserve note when it's not at par. So we paid in Susan B. Anthony dollars. All right, what, now explain to me why was uh, the Susan Anthony uh, a, a dollar different? Uh, okay, the Susan B. Anthony is, is a clad coin. It's counterfeit, like all the other coins you deal with. And uh, it has a 20% um value uh numistic not numistic in in, in uh like a coin collecting um oh there's a term it just slipped my mind as fast as it came in and went out um but there's a term for it that they use that they have too much tied up into it to eliminate that coin all right so that that coin uh was magic a little bit huh it well it's a dollar and um uh it, it, it's a hard coin, and it's U.S. currency. It's collapsed as U.S. currency, and um, uh, they have to accept it. Well, then, but what we're but saying see, is that I wouldn't take a silver dollar in because a silver dollar today is worth $13.72. In other words, uh, that's how much the Federal Reserve note has been devalued, right. and today... You know, uh, um, four years ago, you could buy uh, uh, one ounce of silver or a silver dollar. It's really a dollar of silver uh, for $4.60, which was still above par, which meant that if it was at par, like when I first started working, I got paid in silver coin. You know, everybody got paid in silver coin. That's all there was. There was no clay coin. So I used to collect coins, so I would take my $57 paycheck a week and go down to the bank and cash it all in silver coin. And uh, I had a dollar to spend. So if I wanted to uh, get dimes, I could save 10 dimes and uh, so many quarters, you know, four quarters, two fifty-cent pieces or a silver dollar. And that's how I started my coin collection. And I would take... Uh, if I wanted to get some more coin, I'd take a, say, take a dollar in, hand him a, a dollar, and get a dollar's worth of coin, silver. Now I'd take a dollar in and get a silver dollar. That's in par. That's how it should be. But then they start playing with money, and they started to have a way I went in, and then one time, and the woman said, that'd be a dollar and a half. I said, a dollar and a half? I said, I'm giving you a dollar. I want another dollar, like I always did. She says, well, and you got to give me a dollar and 50 cents more. All right, hey, man, hold it right there. We want to break this up into two hours, okay? Okay. So we'll come right back to that. Uh, give us about four minutes, and we'll continue. All right. Thank you. Good. Adaptation.
improvisation. It's your weakness. It's not your technique. C-Y-G-O-T-H. And so can I hit you with a, a question I may have? Yeah, go ahead. All right. If I can answer it. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, it's okay. If you can't, that, that's fine. Um, but um, it, I think it also deals uh, somewhat with the, uh, the 14th Amendment situation. So let me kind of get through this uh, verbiage. And uh, all right, here we go. Let's see. It, it may be a statement as well. So whatever you got, you got, okay? Okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, let's see. Um, now that we know that we have been screwed, sorry, so to speak, concerning the founding documents, the founding fathers, Rome, and especially the 14th Amendment, should we not have dumped the king? Would we have been better off now with hindsight? Because now with Bush, who is a descendant from both the House of Lancaster and the House of York, as related to Queen Elizabeth I, Queen of England, 1558-1603, uh, is King George. And that's a lot to bite off, but do uh, you want to respond to that? Um, yeah, that's what we found in the um, in the archives in uh, Raleigh, where we went. And that'd be another whole mm -hmm. three months of radio show. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, let me try to answer that without getting too far off. Okay. But when you asked about the 14th Amendment before, Further on in this book, in my letter, uh, I'll, I'll bring in some stuff reverting back to your question where you asked about being charged in a state and then, you know. Yeah, other times inside of that, right. All right. There is comments in the book on that, exactly. But now this is a case that another researcher just sent me. What I was trying to get, he got for me. And it is the county of Santa Clara versus Southern Pacific Railroad. The people of the state of California versus the Central Pacific and Southern, same as Southern Pacific. It was May 10th, 1886. And it is, uh, can be cited as Supreme Court 18 Federal Reporters 385. No, that's a footnote. I'm sorry. That's a footnote. Um, this comes out of volume six, October term, 1885. Um, and you can get it from the National Reporter System. Uh, St. Paul, the West Publishing Company. Um, the library numbers, I got reference numbers, is KF 101 S8 That's if you go to the library, law library. Now, this case is quite lengthy, and you get buried back on page 1139. There is a comment in here by the court that will answer some of your 14th Amendment questions as to corporations or people. And coming down, it's a special grounds of defense for each of the defendants were. And then it goes in and explains what they were. Number two, that the provisions of the Constitution and laws of California in respect to the assessment for taxation of the property of the railway corporations operating railroads in more than one country 
are in violation of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution insofar as they require the assessment of their property at its full money value without making deduction, as in the case of railroads operating in one country, and of other corporations and of natural persons for the value of the mortgages covering the property assessed, thus imposing upon the defendant, as a corporation, unequal burdens and to that extent denying to it the equal protection of the law. Right there is stating that the 14th Amendment was applied to corporations. 1885. Hmm. All right, what did that do to burden uh, we, the, uh, the, the citizens? Um, okay, well, it, it took the, uh, the due process, right. and that's what they're talking about here, and this is where the due process was applied to the people in the states, but not the federal government. In other words, you're in a state, you're in Florida, and you do something down there, and you claim the, the Fifth Amendment or the First Amendment or the Fourth or whatever you want, uh, only if it meets due process requirements will you get it through the Fourteenth Amendment which was made for strictly for the black people, no matter what anybody says, when you do the research, you'll find that the, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th was strictly for blacks. All right, now, please expand on that, because that's a pretty uh, um, <clears throat> interesting statement. Uh, some people say um, that the 13th Amendment freed the blacks and the 14th enslaved us all. Well, yeah, the 14th, what it did, was it gave the blacks, okay, the blacks were freed, but what do they got? They have nothing. That's right. And that's where the 14th Amendment came in, to give them the rights that the, quote, white people had before the 14th Amendment. Because actually before the 14th Amendment, way before the Constitution was formed, blacks could vote, blacks could uh, hold office and had military office and everything, you know. And when the Constitution was drafted, they declared them three-fifths of a person and made them slaves. Even the people that had the money, that had the property, and so on and so forth. But people don't realize that. Well, that's... So, so, in other words, the Fourth Amendment, then, uh, again, probably uh, capitalized on bringing the blacks into full uh, citizen status. Is that correct? Yeah, because you see, it says all persons, now these are unofficial entities, born or nationalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. All right. So breaking that down, the black people then, uh, they resided within the state, but they were citizens of the United States because they were liberated by the United States. Therefore, the United States had to see that they had due process of law. So they, they drafted the 14th Amendment and brought all the Bill of Rights in for the 14th Amendment as long as they met the due process provisions. Now, due process does not mean a jury trial or indictment. They are out the window. The Bill of Rights don't apply to jury trials, so you can argue you're blue in the face that you want a jury trial under the Bill of Rights, and you ain't going to get it. You know, this reminds me, I think you sent me an email 
probably a month or so ago, that discussed the uh, rather, uh, uh, I mean, I guess precarious uh, um, verbiage that was in, you know, a certain clause. I mean, you really pulled it apart, and I'm trying to figure out what that was. Do you remember? I mean, somebody pulled... Um, uh, was that uh, Section 3 or 4 of the 14th Amendment or what? Well, yeah, okay, very good. It did uh, it exactly address itself to the 14th Amendment. Okay. It pulled it apart. I'm telling you what, it was a headache to try to figure that thing out. <laughs> yeah, that's where diagramming sentences comes in. Well, you're, you're right, you're right. No, I, think it, I don't think it was you that did that, but somebody did it, I think, and you can I think encourage. it was uh, James Montgomery. All right, James did it, So, and, and you found it um, solid. Yep. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, Section 4, well, Section 3 is, is even uh, worse. Section 4, the validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. So a citizen can't question the public debt. And that's right in Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. Right. Now, in the third section, um, the one part down there, uh, no person shall be a senator, representative, blah, 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 in support of the Constitution, shall have engaged in this insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the, to the enemies thereof. Well, you can only vote if you're in rebellion to the United States, and they take an oath, the courts take an oath on the... Constitution and the 14th Amendment, that if they rule in our favor, we are the enemy, they are now given aid or comfort to the enemy if they rule for us and against the government. That's basically what that says right there. Yeah, well, basically, section three. Yeah, you, you, we've lost this. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I had read. But, I mean, we're kind of lost in all that. Can you straighten everything out um, in a straight line and, and tell us what that, you know, really means? We're screwed. <laughs> well, well, we kind of know that, but yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 the uh, you know the gymnastics and and you know and the manipulation of the syntax is incredible. Oh yeah. So and, so and remember, we're dealing with past masters of the art of of law, and they're all lawyers. And in fact, they were all brought in um, through the crown, and that every governor has to be a an attorney. And if you go back in the history of your state, look at how many governors were attorney. There was only one governor in North Carolina that was not an attorney. All the rest were attorneys. Uh, how come you got lucky, you know? <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> but <laughs> there was only one period of time that um, uh, North Carolina did have a governor that was uh, not uh, an attorney. I don't think he lasted long. <laughs> I would think not. I didn't go in to find out who it was, uh, just that I know, you know, in going through attorneys, uh, there was a blank for that year. There was no attorney for the governor. Uh, let me hold you right there. Let's tell everybody, you listen to the informer on um, the grass, you know, and um, I think we, we've not uh, done enough justice to his website. If you go to, uh, uh, let's see, against the grain, that's what, atgpress.com you'll go to the index and you can hit him from there. You can also go to my website and you can click on the upcoming shows, which uh, obviously I man's in, or you can go to the audio archives of which three of his shows are there. 
and click on any of that to get him there. Anything else, though, uh, I mean, uh, about the website and what you put up there? Pardon? Want to repeat that? Oh, I thought you were talking to the audience. <laughs> I was, but I mean, now I'm addressing you. Is there anything else you want to tell the folks about what they can find there? Uh, and also, I, I guess we should, shouldn't uh, short shrift uh, James Montgomery either, right? Yeah, he's right, uh, right on the next column over is knowledge is freedom. And uh, he really, uh, if you read a lot of that, you'll see the questions and answers that he had asked, answered for a lot of people. Plus, he's got a lot of other stuff in there, the Vatican connection to the United States and everything. Oh, boy, I tell you what, yeah, we get most of the emails that are critical when we talk about the precious Vatican. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I tell you what, you never read Eric John Phelps' works, right, with Charles Wilcox? No. All right. And they, I mean, they are definitely all over the Vatican and the Jesuits for what they have done throughout the centuries, although their footprints have been very well uh, covered up. But right. you guys hit it from another angle, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Now, the other man that uh, does very well on this is uh, Emmanuel Josephson. Is, he wrote a book called The Federal Reserve Conspiracy and Rockefeller, Their Gold Corner. And I think it was in 1968. I don't know if you can get this... Um, um, it was 1968 by Chedney Press, and I'm not sure if I have a library number. ISBN? I don't see a library. Oh, yeah, there's a card. No, Library of Congress card number is 68 29455. And he goes in and explains the whole thing from the Vatican and the, and the king and uh, the Jesuits and what they did. And the Jesuits were sent across the world to uh, uh, knock out any, any semblance of any government that would be a republic. You know what? This is so good that you state this because obviously – You've not read the other books, and, and I'm a, a proponent or exponent, I guess, of what was written. It changed my thinking. But you guys, yourself and James, have been on, you know, looking for something else and have been drawn to the same information. Uh -huh. So, in other words, if, you know, you're not in our camp, so to speak, and that's great. But you found out about this through another avenue, right. and you found out what we found out, too. And I'll tell you this much. I get some emails from Catholics who are all, all up and down, you know, my back. And it's like, well, look, you know, why don't you go check out uh -huh. the history of the Vatican right. and the Jesuits, which, which is out there, but I guess especially in the 20th century, especially after World War II, the footprints of their perfidy and their instigations are, uh, are gone. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it might be ironic, but I was brought up Catholic. I was an altar boy and all this, and, you know, uh, I, I fell out when I started realizing that something was screwed up with the church. Yeah. And uh, then when I found all this stuff that was going on and how bad the Vatican really was in the, during the Crusades and everything, I mean, gee, the more people were killed over religious arguments than any of the other world wars that we've had. Exactly. Exactly. Um, moving right along, though, I, I, I guess you wanted to come back to something we talked about, and that's a bit about double jeopardy yeah. and, and, and pleading uh, out to the state. What, what the court, what the, the book here said, all right, is um, uh, they're talking about Brock versus North Carolina. It's 1953 now. 
the state court had declared a mistrial and ordered a continuance of the case in order to permit the state to deal with some of its own witnesses who had unexpectedly refused to testify on pleas of self-incrimination. Citing the Palco case, the court held that the double jeopardy provision was not incorporated into the 14th Amendment. And this particular action was not shocking enough to make the trial unfair. Well, gee, tell me what is. Mm -hmm. In 1967, the court declined to decide whether or not double jeopardy provision of the Fifth Amendment would be extended to the states. Although it had granted certiorari to decide the question on a full hearing of the case, it agreed that the state action did not amount to double jeopardy and dismissed the writ as improvidently granted. See Chaos versus Indiana. Since one is not in jeopardy until his trial actually begins, indictment for a crime does not put a person in jeopardy, and therefore repeated indictments do not constitute double jeopardy. Well, you know, these are lawyers that run the country through the crown to keep the people under control, and they're the ones that write all these stupid laws, and this this makes no sense at all. Well... You know, moreover, the government can appeal the dismissal of an indictment, and such an appeal gives the Supreme Court an opportunity to pass upon the constitutionally of constitutionality of the criminal legislation, which the lower court holds unconstitutional. See discussion to the note to Muskrat. It does not constitute double jeopardy to try a person each time he commits the same offense over again. All right, now hold on. Explain that. All right. Um, they explain it. Thus, a conscientious objector who had s served a prison sentence for refusing to register for the draft may be tried and convicted again if he continues in his refusal. The same is true of a person who was punished for contempt for refusing to give testimony. Where, however, a witness is asked to identify a person as a communist and in reply refuses to identify anyone, she is guilty of only one contempt, despite a refusal to answer the same question 11 times asked with regard to other persons. Well, does that mean that she would be guilty 11 times? No, she can't. Be, um, she wouldn't be put in double jeopardy and she can't be asked the same question 11 times and be cited for 11 contempts of court. All right, so, it, okay, so, so why is there a difference between the two incidents? Uh, it's because they say and what they write and what the Congress, which is, nine, you know, at least 75% lawyers, it's how they get around the uh, true uh, law of the lawgiver, which is the Lord, and this is man's law and mammon, and he said, take your lumps. That's your problem. All right, well, I'm looking at, I'm looking at this, the conscientious objector, right? Right. Who they use as a first example. Yeah. So if he was uh, tried and convicted and he served, say, a year in jail, and then he goes out and he refuses to register again for the draft. They can hit him again. They can hit him again. And they say it's not double jeopardy because it's a different offense. All right, I mean, now we look at the first. To me, it's the same offense. It's just a different time period. That's all that changed. All right, now, all right, so the time period might be critical here because the person who, who refuses to identify anybody, right? if she continues, or he, well, in this case, I guess it's a she, but if the individual continues to not want to identify anybody, they're in the court at the same time in the same time right. period. Right. And so that isn't seen as, as another offense. Right. So 
they can't they can only charge her for one time. But it, let's say a year later she comes down and does it again, they can try her again. Well, I, I was going to say, yeah, okay, you know, three days pass, they bring her back in and ask her the same thing. Uh huh. She's back in the cooker again. Right. The court in Morgan versus Divine, 1915, quoted with approval from Bishop on criminal law. The test is whether if what is set out in a second indictment has been proved under the first, there could have been a conviction when there could, the second cannot be maintained, where there could not, it can be. See, it, they, they're all screwed up in their own what? wording. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a horrible sentence. Yeah, yeah. It, it is no sentence. One of the obvious results in living under our federal form of government is that every person is subject to criminal jurisdiction in two separate governments, the state and the national. It is entirely possible, therefore, for a single act to constitute an offense against the statutes of the United States and at the same time to be punishable under state law. This is true in the case of counterfeiting. The national currency, corrupt practices in the conduct of congressional elections, assaults against federal officers, the larceny of goods moving in interstate commerce, violations of the former Prohibition Amendment. In these cases, it has been long held that a person may be tried and punished in both governments without violating the protection against double jeopardy. That guarantee is violated only by a second trial for the same offense against the same sovereign not by a trial for the same act when it can constitutes a separate and distinct crime against another sovereign. So, in other words, you can do the, the crime in uh, Michigan and Tennessee, and, you know, they can bounce like McVeigh. You know, they wanted to, every state wanted a piece of them. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I mean, do they do that to find out where they can get the best deal? Sure. Yeah, well, that's something, huh? Well, you know, okay, this is conspiratorial. Well, no, this is not conspiratorial. This is the theoretical. Yeah, yeah. I just find it interesting that the, the state in which he was finally convicted and, and sentenced uh, was by lethal injection. Uh huh. I don't know what Colorado has. I don't know if it's hanging or not. Right. I guess what I'm driving at is, although, you know, I don't know, I just wonder if. Um, he played ball and um, may not be dead, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, is that is that completely wild uh, to your thinking? No, you know, it's like uh, a lot of lawyers like to shop in, in different southern states for uh, compensation because they can get more compensation in the Alabama and and uh, Mississippi than they can in uh, New York City. But, but that has to be tied into uh, a criminal being involved in those in, in those different states. Is that correct? Oh yeah, for criminal, yeah. Yeah, I mean you've got to have traffic through all that. Yeah. Right. Hmm. All right. Um, but again, with this with this double jeopardy as it applies to state and federal, though, um, I'm a little confused here because I mean, so in other words, if the state can't convict. And it was involved, and it must, I guess it must be involved with interstate commerce, which is federal. Would that right. be right? Yeah. That the feds can jump in and say, okay, the state dropped the ball, we'll, we'll take it and we'll convict? Uh-huh. They can. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Have we seen any... Now, there's one here. It says, um, under the Lanza rule, and the, the, there was a, someone that violated the Volstead Act. 
the district judge dismissed the indictment on the ground of double jeopardy, and the government appealed. The Lanza rule, though sharply criticized, still stands. A Bate versus the United States, 1959, held that a man convicted of a crime in Illinois could later be tried for the same act, dynamiting telephone communications, under federal law, because he would be federal communications. So Illinois could come after him, and so could the United States. Lanza was specifically reaffirmed by a 6-3 to three decision on the same day the court held 5-4 to four that one acquitted in a federal court of robbing a federally insured bank could later be tried and convicted in the same state court for the same robbery, Buckus versus Illinois, 1959. Jeez. Okay. But wait a minute. Uh, now, the court could be a state court or it could be a federal court. I mean, a bank, I'm sorry, uh, because uh, even though it's federally insured, the state bank, when we had lost a particular check that was supposed to go to an undertaker uh, for my father, um, the, the undertaker lost the check. And it was a certified check from the bank. Mm -hmm. And I had called up, and I went through all kinds of stuff, and I finally ended up going to the controller uh, of the bank in New York City. And I was told that uh, at first I thought it was federal, and it wasn't. It was state. So, therefore, the state bank, they had nothing to do with it, but yet it was federally insured and everything, and I couldn't get them to issue uh, a, another check to the undertaker that lost it based on the fact that the cash, it was never cashed. And um, then they told me, well, is it a federal or state? Well. Because it was uh, a state bank, I'm sorry, it wasn't federal, it was a state bank, I had to go to the controller in New York City, and only after talking to him for about five minutes, uh, this is a six-month deal now, and then when I finally hit the right person uh, in New York, uh, in five minutes, after explaining everything to him, he issued a check. He, he wrote to the bank. I got a copy of the letter. He told them in no uncertain terms that they had to issue a check to the uh, undertaker, and uh, they did. It took me six months to find who was responsible for, for this fiasco, and it was the controller of the banks in New York City. What a surprise, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, New York City is like that little thing called London, the city of London, which has nothing to do with England at all. It's all by the crown. It's all owned by the crown. It's like that little piece of Wall Street down there. What about that little piece of Wall Street? Uh, down at 55 Water Street. Mm -hmm. That generally run the <laughs> everything that goes on in this country. Usually everything has to go through it. We found some um, interesting stuff similar to what that is in the archives in uh, North Carolina. And when I'm saying archives, I mean the state archives where the the state uh, personnel has the uh, all the records, not a law library or you know, any other kind of county library or anything like that. But uh, there's um, two states and if people don't realize that, there is a, a thing on there on the uh, informer site, it is, uh, this is not conjecture, this is not myth, this is not patriot myth. Uh, if they click on that, 
they'll find out how everything has come circuitous through the crown up to present day and how everything is operating and that we have two different governments within the same state you have two governments and we're dealing in a monarchy we don't have a democracy we really have a monarchy when you say to two different governments to what are you referring uh, in the state if you got um, the de facto is called this state and everything in the original state is called the state the and this and um, we found that there was so many of it that was in there that it, the one part it was in the Halifax Resolves and I'm going to read you one little part okay and it says the Halifax Resolves came along in April 12th 1776 and was done by a select committee after the fourth provisional Congress this is North Carolina which pulled them in under the Continental Congress so on and so forth we said, how do we go forward into a constitutional law and try to find something that will absolutely prove our thesis and our hypothesis that there might be more than one government? Now, I'm reading right off of what Mr. P said. So we started reading, and he's talking about me and a fellow called Fraudbuster and another fellow that went actually down into the archives and sat there for three days pulling all this stuff and getting it. What archives is this in North Carolina? Right. Okay. So we started reading, and the first thing we find, by the way, they were everywhere. This is the Constitution of North Carolina, 1776, and he passed it around, and all the people read it. We got to look at this, and here is the hard part, and you're going to have to learn to read this the way I have had to learn to read it. The constitutional form of government agreed to and resolved by the representative of the freemen of the state of North Carolina, and they put small s, small state of North Carolina elected and chosen for that particular purpose in Congress assembled in Halifax 18 December 1776 whereas allegiance protection and we want to do this constitution so they say for the time being they're going to act and they're going to put this constitution together for North Carolina so we start saying, which North Carolina? How do you read this? Well, Declaration of Rights, that all political power is vested in and derived from the people. Okay. So all quit writing. He's telling all the people right down here where we were talking to them. And gather closer. The Declaration of Rights made by the freemen of the state of North Carolina. See that little word right there? The state of North Carolina. Number two, the people of this state. Wait a minute. What happened to these two? What happened to the freemen of the state of North Carolina? Now they're following the people of this state, meaning that these guys sat down and put this constitution together under their private state. And the one person said, their private second state? Right. We have a sole and exclusive rights of regulating them internal government and police thereof. That's a private club. And that no man or said men are titled to several alignments not separate as they want them confined within their own alignment and that the legislature, executive and judicial power of the government ought to be separate and distinct and so on and so forth. And you go down and you start reading at the bottom of what we were reading at. You pull it together and it's, it comes in and it says, so the government of that state and the government created by the Constitution is this state. The and this. Look it up in the dictionary. You'll see how far apart those words are. 
and pronouns the and this? Yes, the and this. And where would one look for this? In the old page uh, uh, well, Any Really, any dictionary that's a good dictionary. Webster's, I got the 1828. That's where I like to go. And that's the least uh, bastardized dictionary that you'll find. Well, I'll tell you, that's on three sites on the, on, uh, on the web. That's really neat to have. Yeah. But, I mean, can you give us a thumbnail as uh, what the difference is between the and this? The is a modifier. I wrote about it. I can't remember. <laughs> but the is a modifier. This is general. Um, now, I don't know if in Black's Law, um, if they have the legal definition of the and this, but uh, hold on a second. Uh, ST, I'll look it up and see if... Uh, uh, I'm pulling mine out. <laughs> yeah, pull yours out and take a look at it. Uh, because there is a difference. Uh, the, an article which particularizes the subject spoken. Grammatical niceties should not be resorted to without necessary, but it would be extending their liberal liberty, uh, liability, yeah, liber, liberal, liber, they broke the word up to an unwarrantable length to confound the articles A and the. The most unfettered persons understand A is indefinite, but the refers to a certain object. All right, what I got here, what, where are you reading that from? Page 11, uh, 1324, Black's Fifth. All right, I, I got the Black Sixth uh, edition. Uh-huh. Remember that? No, I don't have the sixth. Right, I stopped says, after the fifth because I got so screwed up and messing up everything that I didn't bother getting it. Well, it says, uh, it says an article which uh, particularizes the subject spoken of. Right. It's very particular. That's okay. why um, term and word, term is very particular and cannot be deviated from, but a word can be deviated from and added to and used like including. All right, and we, I'm going to just hit you with this. It said, when this and that refer to different things be, uh, before expressed, this refers to the thing last mentioned. Right. And that to the thing first mentioned. Uh -huh. This is a demonstrative adjective used to point out with particularity a person or thing present in place or in thought. That's pretty confusing. Yeah. Jeez. So in uh, the... Uh the 1976 Constitution in North Carolina is even more evident when you read it. It says, "We, the people of the state of North Carolina, grateful to Almighty, grateful to Almighty God, do for the more certain security thereof, for better government of this state, order and establish the Constitution for the general principles of liberty, and so forth, the relations of." this state, not the state, to the union government of the United States and to the people of this state. Now it is called this state. And, and it's all, this is all the way down when you go and read it. Now what I did was I wrote a letter to the Attorney General of North Carolina on another matter. And I bought this, no, I didn't really bring it up. I let him nail his own height to the wall. Okay. And I still have a copy of that letter. But we were talking, he says, um, you know, about being a citizen of the state, and my convictions are, you know, uh, really strong and stuff. And it comes on the letterhead, and on the letterhead is all capitalized, the state of North Carolina. In the letter, in talking about 
natural liberties, he used North Carolina and didn't put state in front of it. And didn't use the word this, where in all the others he did. And I come back and I nailed on that on a letter, and he never responded to that second letter. All right, so, so break that down again uh, about the, uh, the difference between the, uh, the semantics there. Oh, this state and the state. Well, uh, or oh, the lack of using any article, though, wasn't it I'm in for North Carolina? It, it was what? Didn't he not use an article at all before North Carolina? No. No. So no. What, what status does that create then for? Uh, because, you see, there's no boundaries in North Carolina. There are, the only boundary on North Carolina is listed as the Atlantic Ocean. There's no boundaries between Virginia and South Carolina and Tennessee. And if we went and we found, because of this, we went and we dug up in the archives the old original maps, and the old original maps, North Carolina was Tennessee all the way over to the Mississippi, and South Carolina went all the way over to the Mississippi, and Virginia went all the way over to the Mississippi. Oof. Yeah. And we got the archive actual maps. And they reduced them down because they were huge, and they reduced them down for us, and we got them certified. What? And then when you look in the North Carolina Constitution, and uh, it is really uh, funny, in a way, that uh, when we approached the lawyers down there uh, in Raleigh, uh, they, they didn't know what to say. They actually had no idea why the uh, it was written that way, and I'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. Um, the Constitution of North Carolina. Um, it says basically they will be as they were. That's the definition of the boundaries of North Carolina. And where would mean they go out to uh, the Mississippi? Yeah. And what year was, was, was that map created? Do you remember offhand? Oh, uh, seventeen hundred and something. So they're holding, they're, they're holding uh, to this uh, creation of, of a state and its uh, its parameters that was back in the eighteenth century. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They do have it. Um, I, I'm trying to see where if it's what article. Um, like I say, I have it on my, uh, uh, I got so much stuff that I, you know, I forgot that's not a problem. most people will ever remember. But, I, but I'm just wondering, if somebody screws up in Tennessee, and that obviously is in the direct line of what North Carolina was, was given as its, its, its uh, you know, uh, purview. Right. So how would, how would that be treated at today? I mean, would somebody be necessarily answerable to North Carolina? Um, I have no idea because no one's done it. No one, no one has ever put this into uh, into practice, into you know any court session or anything with that. But the language, as as if as it was, <laughs> as right. they were, mm -hmm. that refers back to this 18th century. Yeah, the 18th century maps that we got because when we got them, uh, we we bought them up and we asked for the you know the present day maps. Well, naturally it shows you the uh, the 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 states like you see on any map, you know, the uh -huh. boundaries. But it doesn't list the boundaries, the meets and bounds, like it's supposed to. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> they talk about governments and everything, and uh, uh, education. Um, yeah, you know, I just don't, I don't see it. And oh, that's all right. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, even Fraudbuster went down and talked to the attorney down in uh, the governor's office. And he asked, he threw the Constitution down. He says, can you define what this is for me? And he looked at it, and he started laughing. He says, I never saw this. That means that this idiot in the governor's office, DAG, never picked up the Constitution and looked at it. Well, what does that say about the Constitution? <laughs> it's worthless. And what, what, what exactly is running them then? They're running off of the private corporation, uh, willy-nilly, whatever the law says, that's what it is. And yet we do have, uh, as far as I can understand, you're telling me that for the most part, even with the state um, government, you're running with two different state governments. Sure, yes. And they show, you know, they show you one and they got another. Uh-huh. What's another example, if you could think of one, where one runs into that kind of in the matrix, outside the matrix? Um, generally everywhere, um, there was a, 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 um, an email that was on today, and I responded to the guy, darn, um, and he's talking about the Constitution. Did you send uh, that to me today? I think it was down in Texas. Um, Oh, the keywords. Now, the guy got a letter, and it was from the Department of Texas Public Safety, and it was April 21st, and the person wrote to him about the driver's license thing, and he says, this is from um, the manager of the, of the DMV, <laughs> and it says, this is in response to your correspondence dated March 27th, 2006, concerning the issuance of your Texas driver's license. Please accept my sincere apology for the inconvenience you have experienced in obtaining your Texas driver's license. It is not the intent of the Department of Public Safety to make this process a difficult one. The department recognizes the essential need, now listen to this carefully now, the essential need of the citizens of this state to obtain a driver license and seeks to be efficient on all customer-based services. All right. Well, uh, then she goes in and says, please accept my apology for any inconvenience and all this and da-da-da-da. And uh, you applied for your Texas driver's license. We fail to recognize that your signature does not meet our standards. We cannot accept the signature with the additional statement, all rights reserved, printed under your signature. Therefore, we need to recapture another signature for your driver's license. We would like to schedule an appointment for you at the driver's license office of your choice. So I wrote back to the guy and I says, okay, I find the keywords used to deny you the reservation. Now, this is hard to swallow, but it's a fact. Here are the words to key in on from your letter. Quote, the department recognizes the essential need of the citizens of this state to obtain blah, 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 blah. This state is a corporate private state and is not the original state. The next is citizen of. Since a citizen belongs to the private corporate entity of this state, 
They can deny the rights reservation and demand just your signature. I once had a judge tell me and others that he could not give us what we wanted with reservations attached. He said it's impossible to give rights already granted. Of course, granted is a citizen's permission to do what the state allows. Mm -hmm. It's not an inherent right. So they're very clever in their terms used. It goes right over people's heads as to words and what they mean to them in their realm. Well, you, you can understand why. Else? It isn't. It's what they say it is. But I mean, you can understand why people would obviously be hoodwinked by this. Yeah. And now, there's a case that I got, and I told them, and I can't recall it, and I have it buried away in the tons of paper from 1933 that says in the caption, and it's a federal case, you can have your cake and eat it too with reference to UCC 1207. And it was a federal case. Now, to understand, I've posted this about 50 times, and it was um, uh, that under the 1933 War Powers Act, every state had to comport with the federal act and recognize every state that would be uniform throughout the country. And that was at the, the ATG Press. It is uh, www.atgpress.com forward slash inform forward slash GOV046, that's 046, mm -hmm. I don't know, All right. dot htm. And I click on that, and I'll go right in to see what the term is in this state. And this is what we found in the archives in Raleigh. Hmm. Well, I mean, again, with these lawyers, are they aware of the uh, the duality of, of the state? Uh, no, Probably a lot not. of them are just dumb as a bump on a log. But they're, once you get above, uh, you know, you get into the, the Attorney General's office, they know, all the courts know, all the law professors know, because they teach this crap. And... Um, they, uh, the lower echelon are just dumb, you know, they just like clerks. They told what to do, when to do it, told to shut up by the judge because he rules them in court. And uh, he has to believe, he has to follow what the judge says, and he can't do it on his own. And if he does, he's disbarred. Well, you know... What chance does anybody really have in court? None. I really, I mean, a lot of people say I'm a defeatist. No, I'm talking reality. No, okay. Um, I've been in the courts since 1980, uh, well, actually 1976 when I won my first traffic case. But um, I've lost a lot, and I've won a few. And um, the big cases, you will never win on the big cases like, uh, Samaritan and Schiff and all them. I mean, you know, they ain't going to admit we're right uh, and kill the goose that lays the golden egg for them. So anything of major importance, property taxes, driver's licenses, uh, income tax, and a few other, you know, little things, uh, the rest is mundane. You could probably win on them. 
uh, on a matter of, of the law and stuff like that. But the big ones, no. You'll once in your court court. See, they have administrative law that runs the country, and administrative law actually are courts of the first instance, and uh, once you go in and they have made a determination, the agency, and you can pull that up on an administrative law in an amateur and pull that out, amateur one, and you can read the whole sorry details on administrative law and see how the country has been run since uh, 1933 when Roosevelt took over and changed the whole structure of the government. And uh, <clears throat> that's why the war powers, and this is where um, that site I just gave you on uh, the, the myth and uh, not patriot myth and mm -hmm. not mythology, you know, it's no BS, uh, it's the real real meal deal, so-called, as a friend of mine says, uh, on the internet, on the uh, ATG press site, that, uh, I mean, the people, they can see it in black and white, and even the people that we showed to were so shocked that had we not had the material there, the actual archive documents, they wouldn't have believed this. And these are top researchers. You know, did something take place uh, in the early 30s? Yeah, under Roosevelt, 1933 to 1935 is when they they really did everything and uh, screwed the American people and made the two uh, the two governments. And uh, uh, the two governments would be what? Uh, the the state and this state. So anything with this state is the de facto corporation, and it's their own private little club that they set up based on uh, what happened in, um, well, on March 9th. What they did, believe it or not, in North Carolina, an act to abolish the Corporation Commission and create the Office of Utilities Commissioner. That there is hereby created the Office of Utility Commissioner who shall have general power and control of the public utility and the public service corporations of the state. They put it in there, the state. And such supervision as necessary of laws affecting companies, corporations, partnerships, and individuals. Now, right here is the individual that you'll find in tax law. The individual is a person. They're the same as corporations. All right? Mm -hmm. Now, what they did is they put the utility commissioner on top of all the powers, duties, and functions and responsibilities of any statute or law of the state. Of Now they say, of this state. Mm -hmm. What happened to that state? Heretofore conferred upon or vested or exercised by the corporate commissioner or any member thereof are hereby vested in the utilities commissioner. Guess what happened? The utilities commissioner is the governor of this state. And Governor Easley is the governor of the state. So what happened because of the bankruptcy, they rode over, rolled over all the corporations, eliminated them, gave them new charters, and put them under this state. And took them out of the state. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Um Am I giving you a headache? Uh, yeah, I had that like a long time ago, but I tell you what, it's worth it to get through this kind of thing because everybody knows, everybody knows that we're being obfuscated out of our minds. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, you talk to people that, that can't see this here directly. And, you know, you're a kook, you're a nut, you're a nutcase. Uh, uh, I, I've been called all kinds of names. This rolls on my back now. It used to bother me before. I said, how can people be so stupid? And, you know, well, I know why. But anyway, um, if, if they were to go and pull this up uh, and let them read it, well, we do have the document. I do have some documents here with me. Uh, we all put them away, and uh, some of us kept what we kept, and we made a big copy of everything, and it took us like two days to make copies of everything that we got out with the seals on it, so they're, they're actually documented seals. Of course, one of the guys is put in jail. He's been in jail now for five years. I think he'll get out in 2013, <laughs> but because of the Supreme Court just made some drastic decisions concerning the sentencing guidelines, this guy might get out in 18 months. But that's one of the reasons why he was put in there. Right, exactly. So uh, what they did, I mean, this, there is so much in here that the state treasurer shall be ex officio director of local government. All local governments are simple illusions and fictions. It says an act to transfer the state highway patrol from the highway department to the Department of Revenue. Now, how about that? All the state police and the state highway patrol in North Carolina are under the Department of Revenue. Why do you think they issue so many tickets? Well, I tell you what, I mean, we're out of time. I'm going to leave it there. I hope you'll come back. Oh, yeah. I know, and uh, and thank you very much. Yeah, you've given me enough to uh, yeah, help you up a couple of nights. <laughs> okay. All right, you take care, brother, and uh, and uh, we'll talk again. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, good night. Night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.